my name is Carolyn Savell, and I'm filling in for my husband, Jerry, today. And uh, we're going to have a wonderful program today, and I'm teaching about the blood of Jesus. And I want to thank you, partners, so very much for tuning in and for helping us make this program possible. You know, it's only because of you and through you that we're able to be on the air and to do the things that we do. So we're so very grateful for everything that you participate in with us in this ministry. Well, let's get right into the subject that's so dear and near to my heart, and that's the precious blood of Jesus. You know, we started the last few weeks, and the key scripture that I've used every uh, program is 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. And it says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for us. The precious blood of the lamb. In one of the previous lessons, we talked about the principle of innocent blood being shed for the guilty. And that is the law of first mention where the blood was shed in the Garden of Eden, where God made coats of skin and uh, shed an animal for Adam and Eve because of their transgression in the Garden of Eden. So I want to give you these seven principles. And they're, they're, uh, I want you to understand that uh, it's from the book, The Blood of Christ by David Alsobrook, and he lists these seven foundational principles. And they start with, God requires the shedding of blood for sin, and the sinner must be covered with blood, and the life is in the blood, and God provides the sacrifice, and God himself covers the sinner, and the innocent dies for the guilty, and God brings judgment upon the sacrifice. So that's so important that you see that God is the one that provides the sacrifice and God is the one that has the blood shed so that sins are forgiven. Uh, let's begin today our new lesson in Genesis chapter 14. And in that chapter we see that there was war between all these different kings and um, they came to Sodom and they captured all the people in Sodom, but they captured Lot and they captured all of his household and all of his family and took all of his goods. And we see when the messenger came and told Abram that Lot had been captured with his goods, Abram armed all of his trained servants born in his own house, 318 of them, and pursued them unto Dan. And Abram defeated the three kings, and he took back everything that had been stolen. He took back Lot and his household and all of his servants. And then we see in that Melchizedek, king of Salem, came out to meet Lot, and he brought forth bread and wine. And that was the priest of the Most High God. The bread and the wine is a pattern, a type of what was to come. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus being our great high priest of the new covenant. And when I did study on Melchizedek, it says he had no beginning and no end. And Jesus, our great high priest, was after the order of Melchizedek, who was a high priest. 
Now in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verses 14 and 16, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now let's look in Genesis 15, verses 1 through 11. And I was going to read this out of my Bible, but I don't think I have time to read it all. So I'll just read the first few verses and then we'll talk about it. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, after what things? After the defeat of these kings. Uh, the word of the Lord came into Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Why did he tell Abram not to fear? Because these things had told uh, Abram that they would get retribution, that they were going to come after him. So that's why he had fear of these kings that he had defeated. Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir." And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look into the heavens and tell the stars, and if you're able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. He believed in the Lord. I want you to notice this scripture where it said he believed in the Lord. He stayed himself upon the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said, take unto me, take me an heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took him all these and he divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against the other, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowl came down upon the carcass, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation shall come, they shall serve, will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. So I want you to notice that sacrifice here in verse 10, the Amplified says, And he brought him all these and cut them down the middle. And look in verse 9. He said to me, bring to me, so take for me, the Amplified says. And he brought them all and cut them down the middle in halves and laid them each opposite and the other so that the birds he did not divide. So these sacrifices that belonged to and were for God. Several commentaries said, and I quote, each of the three animals named here were tame ones, not wild and needing to be captured. Instead, they were willing servants of man's needs. Each one foreshadowed a distinctive aspect of Jesus's perfection and work. The commentary said the heifer of three years points to freshness and vigor. The goat gave the sin offering aspect 
and the ram is the animal that is the Levitical offering and connection of consecration and with priesthood. The birds were told of the one sent from heaven. And the three years and three times repeated suggests perhaps the time of the Lord's sacrifice offered three years of service upon the earth. Now, what I want you to notice is that death passed upon them all. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So I want you to notice that death passed upon all the sacrifices. The dividing of the animals indicated that the sacrifice was to form the basis for a covenant forever and ever. The Hebrew word for covenant means cut or the incision where blood flows. So verse 17, when the sun had gone down and a thick darkness had come on and lo, a smoking oven and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant or promise and pledge to Abram saying to his descendants, I have given this land from the river Egypt to the great river Euphrates. And oh, get this, God walked up and down in that blood. That blood represented God's blood. It was his substitute. Brother Copeland says, God walked up and down and he did like the infinity and ate. I can just see it. Brother Copeland painted such a beautiful picture of God walking up and down in that blood. And it was God himself who came down and walked in the blood. God is a fire from his loins up and his loins down. His eyes are flames of fire. Out of his hands are shafts and flames of fire. He is like a smoking furnace. So God himself cut the covenant with Abraham. Oh my goodness. Now in Genesis chapter 15, verse 11, and when the fowls, vultures came down upon the carcass, Abram drove them away. Think of that. He drove them away. One commentary said the driving away of the vultures seems to have shown forth the energy of faith. That's why it happened. Driving the vultures away was a declaration of faith that was involved in this. It took energy. It took effort. He had to stay awake all night to drive the vultures away that came down to take the carcass that was left. One commentary said the vultures represented Satan and his evil horde that tried to consume Jesus because this was the representation of God keeping his and being, being raised on the third day. Because he told Abram, take as for me. So those animals were for God. Now in Genesis, the 15th chapter, verses 16, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. The literal rendering of the verse is, and he stayed himself upon the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. E.W. Kenyon says, the word believe means that Abram made an unqualified committal of himself and all that he ever was and ever would be to God. The word believe here in the Hebrew means not only loving trust, but it also means give yourself wholly up. So here it says, Abraham, or Abram at that time, gave himself wholly up to God, and Abram gave himself up to God in utter abandonment of self. So in Genesis 15, 1, 
Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and exceeding great reward. What will you give me seeing that I go childless? And you know the word there where it says he was able to number. Tokyo Mountain said, if you look at the stars, I'm able to number them. Then this shall your seed be. And you know how the story goes. Abram and Sarah leaned to the arm of the flesh and Sarah gave Abram her handmaiden Hagar, and Hagar bore Ishmael. You know all about that story, how that Ishmael then was born of the flesh. So 13 years of no mention of any appearing of the Lord unto him. God waited 13 years until Abram was dead in his flesh, until Sarah was dead in her flesh, and they could not produce a child. And he also waited so that they would know that the produced heir when the child was born of a surety, that would be Almighty God that would cause this miracle to take place. They could not produce a child in their own bodies, and so she, Sarah could not produce a child in her body, so it had to be by the hand of Almighty God. So this was the promised heir. This was the promised child. And when God entered covenant with Abram, God changed his name to Abraham, and he also changed Sarai's name to Sarah. And in Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 2, the Lord appeared to Abram when he was 99 years old and said to him, I am Almighty God, and walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep before me, and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And Abram obeyed the instructions of God and circumcised every male in his household on the same day that God commanded him to do it. I want you to notice it was immediate obedience. Immediately, Abraham obeyed God. And in Genesis 17, verses 10 through 14, read it for yourself. This was the blood covenant of friendship. It shall be consummated by you giving to me of your personal blood at the very source of paternity under your girdle, thereby pledging yourself to me and pledging also to me all those who shall come after you in the line of natural descent. What was the sign of the Abrahamic covenant? Circumcision, blood flowing. As a result, they would not only enter into the covenant, but take part in God's promise to Abraham. God honored the covenant so that even at the advanced age, Abraham was able to father a child and his wife, Sarah, who was 90, conceived and bore a son and they named him Isaac. Then in Genesis 18, 19, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of them. Then we take the story up in Genesis chapter 22. And after these events, God tested and proved Abraham and said to him, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and offer him there as a burnt offering to me. I want you to notice Abraham did not hesitate. 
though it meant giving up all he held dear because that was the desire of his heart to have a son from his own flesh and blood. But look, look what happened. But he took the young man on a three-day journey and three-night journey, and they arrived at Mount Moriah, and together they built the offering. Abraham laid his son on the altar and drew the knife to slay him. And when the angel of the Lord shouted to him, saying, Abraham, Abraham, stay your hand. Verse 13 says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram was caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. God had found a man that would keep the covenant. He had found a covenant-keeping man. Now look at verse 16. Now hear what God said. By myself have I sworn and said, the Lord Jehovah, for because you have done this thing, have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven. Now look at verse 17. It's so vitally important. And the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of thy enemies. Now God saw that a man that he had made was willing to give his only son in the covenant. How much more would our heavenly father give his only son Jesus to the redemption of mankind? And did you notice in that verse, by myself have I sworn... God's throne became the surety of his promise. God's throne became the surety of his promise. All that God had backed the surety of that promise. Now, I want you to look in your Bible, in Genesis chapter 22, I want to look in mine, and I want us to go back and look at some very important things here. Um, I want you to notice that when Abram, rose up and told his son Isaac that they were going to Mount Moriah, that I want you to notice that his son Isaac did not even hesitate. He was used to offering sacrifices because Abraham had taught his son the way that you enter covenant with God and that your sin is covered is through the shedding of blood. So I want you to notice that Isaac did not hesitate and he went with his father, father immediately. And I want you to notice faith that was involved. He told the servants, stay here and my son and I will go yonder and worship and we will return. That was his faith declaration because Abraham had already seen his son raised in a vision. If God had to raise him from the ashes, God would raise Isaac up because he was the promised heir. So I want you to notice all the faith that was involved because Isaac went with his father and he said to his father, Father, we have the wood and we have the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And I wanted you to notice what Abraham said to his son. Son, God will provide the sacrifice. So when they get to that place, oh, it's such a beautiful picture. And I want you to notice this wasn't a little bitty boy who was who was, you know, not strong and was just weak and effortless. This was a young man who could have easily overpowered his father at any moment. And I want you to notice the faith in Isaac. Isaac climbed up on that, oh, 
This gives me goosebumps. Isaac was the willing sacrifice, like Jesus was the willing sacrifice. Isaac was willing to offer himself, and he climbed up on that altar to give himself willingly. And as Abraham started the fire and raised his hand to offer his son, that's when the angel of the Lord cried out, Stop, Abraham, stop. And there God had provided, excuse me for crying, God had provided a sacrifice. He provided the ram caught in the thicket. And Abraham and Isaac went over and got the ram and brought it back and put it on the altar and slayed that animal. Oh, my goodness, think about it. God, once again, had provided the sacrifice. God, once again, had provided the sacrifice. Now, look at the greatness of all of this. This covenant man with Abraham God said, if an earthly man that I have made from the dust of the ground is willing to give his son his only son, that locked God into being able to give his son his only son. And that's why he sent Jesus from heaven to shed his blood because of what Abraham did right there on Mount Moriah. Oh, my goodness. Now, I want to give you a few key points before we conclude this today. God provided the sacrifice. God provided the sacrifice. Oh, my goodness, he always provides the sacrifice. God provided the sacrifice with Adam and Eve. God provided the sacrifice for Noah with the animals in the ark. God provided the sacrifice for Abraham with the ram in the thicket. And God provided the sacrifice for the lamb for the Hebrew children, which were brought out of 400 years of bondage in Egypt. God provides the knowledge of the scarlet cord through the two spies that delivered Rahab and her family. And God provides the sacrifice through Jesus. Oh, glory to God. So the covenant that God made with Abraham was based upon death, the death of Jesus, which is blood. So this covenant based on sacrifice was made by God himself. Glory to God. The blood was shed. The blood was shed. Innocent blood was shed for the guilty. A.E. Mitchell, and I quote, the bloodline is a circuit or it makes a circle. None of the precious things of the divine economy are honed on earth but in heaven. The blood has but one terminal and that is in heaven from where it came. Please watch this announcement, and I'll be right back. There is power in the blood of Jesus. In the four-CD teaching set, A Revelation of the Blood, Carolyn Savell reveals powerful insight into the true meaning of the blood of Jesus. Learn how to use the blood to protect your family, overcome sickness, and achieve victory in every area of your life. We've sang about it for years. Now learn how vital His blood is for you. In the life-changing book, The Intensity of Your Desires, you will discover how to reach the heart of God and receive the very desires of your heart. If you've ever wondered why some prayers are answered and others still aren't, then this book is for you. Stop praying hit and miss and learn the key to unlocking the answers to your prayers. Request this powerful combo by Carolyn Savell. 
a revelation of the blood, and the intensity of your desires. Call or go online to jerrysavelle.org. Don't wait. Learn everything you can about the power of the blood today. I hope you purchase these products because they are life-changing. You know, these are four hours right here in these CDs, and there's no way in these 30-minute broadcasts that I could possibly get to you all the information that's included here. So you want to purchase these because they're life-changing, and I'm telling you, it will give you the information that you need that will cause your life to be radically changed. I know it changed my life when I began to study on the blood and find out how real and how God intends for us to apply this in our everyday life. So don't delay. Order now at jerrysavelle.org. Well, I want us to talk about pleading the blood of Jesus. This is going to be the subject in, in next week's lesson, but I want to give you a little foretaste of what we're going to talk about. Pleading the blood of Jesus, how powerful His blood is. And you know, when um, I was growing up, my mother talked about the blood and prayed for my sister and I every single day when we would leave the house. She would lay her hands upon us or plead the blood of Jesus as we walked out the door. So I want to read a few testimonies about pleading the blood of Jesus. And this is one uh, that the blood can really make the difference between life and death. And I've been pleading the blood each day over everything that pertains to my family. And several weeks ago, uh, there were several children in my home playing, and they were not doing anything that would have warrant pleading the blood. But I suddenly had an unction to pray for the four children. The children later were outside playing on property behind our home. The four excitedly ran into the house, and one boy was holding a gun, pointing it at me. I stopped in my tracks saying, don't point the gun at me, point it to the ground. He then turned and pointed it to himself. I told him, don't do that, point it down. When I was able to get the gun out of his hand, I took it next door to my neighbor who was a detective. My neighbor told us that it was a loaded Saturday night special. It was corroded, and if the trigger had been pulled or if it had accidentally discharged, the gun would have exploded in the hands of whoever was holding it. When I talked to the children about what had happened, I found out my youngest son, Jesse, was the one who found the gun. He picked it up, pointing it at the other children in his excitement. And my son's friend, Daniel, took it from Jesse and proceeded to climb over a fence. Oh my goodness, and climb over a wall. If he had accidentally knocked it off or it fell off the wall, the gun could have discharged. Henry and I are the parents of the other two children, have in the past stressed importance to never touching a gun. But we found that when a child finds something like a gun in the excitement of the moment, he or she could make impulsive decisions, however, not obeying what they had learned from their parents. But we learned that there is power in the blood of Jesus. And in this case, that power was grace and mercy when children fail to remember parental instructions. So we are so thankful for the teaching on the blood and pleading the blood of Jesus. 
Isn't that amazing that we have that power through the blood of Jesus, through the name of Jesus, and because the word of God is in us? The blood of Jesus is the most powerful thing. Those three things, the name, the word, and the blood. So God intends for us to use those as weapons in these last days that we are living in. I'm telling you, you never know from day to day what's going to cross your path. So you've got to learn to use these three mighty weapons, the word of God, the name of Jesus, and the blood of the Lamb. And so until next time, this is Carolyn Savelle reminding you that Jerry and I love you and that your faith will overcome the world. <laughs> 